Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold here on the 5th of July. Bill is away for today, at least for hour one. This is Peter Kapsner filling in. Glad to be with you in this afternoon. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. I have a number of conversations to address in this first hour, starting with Rob Bluey from The Daily Signal, who joins us regularly on Tuesdays to cover a lot of those headlines. Good afternoon, Rob. It's good to be with you, Peter. Yeah, I always love to hear your voice. love how you guys cover the the news from so many different standpoints. And uh, obviously, we had a wonderful 4th of July celebration over the weekend as a country. Many people did, but there was troubling news coming out of Chicago. And Rob, I don't know how you process this, but it just uh, it, it gets hard to even know what to say when you have some of these mass shootings. In this case, somebody shooting into a parade of people who I'm sure started their day thinking about the celebration that was to come, especially in a, in a, in a post-COVID kind of environment, glad to be among other people, and then the tragedy struck. So I know there's been some more recent developments this afternoon. Why don't you take us into what you see here? Sure, Peter. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, I was at a parade in my own community, and it was great to see so many neighbors come together, set aside maybe their political differences. We are a divided country, as, as your listeners know, and come together to celebrate America. And uh, that's exactly what the people in Highland Park, Illinois, were trying to do yesterday when uh, when their celebration was disrupted by this gunman who killed six people, injured uh, uh, more than two dozen and a lot of the people in that community are are still, you know, at a loss uh, for for what the motive was. And police seem to be unclear as well. Uh, as you indicated, we had several updates uh, from law enforcement officials today. Uh, we know a few things. Uh, the the gunman fired uh, seventy rounds into the crowd. Uh, he was using a um, a, a gun uh, similar to an AR-15. Uh, it's uh, it's unclear uh, why he carried out the attack. Uh, they do not know yet. Uh, they um, are, are not ready to announce charges against the suspect either. And so it's uh, just one of those uh, fast-moving stories that we'll continue to, to closely monitor. But uh, but as you indicate, uh, of all occasions, I mean, you, you would not expect uh, something like this to take place here, but you also wouldn't expect it to take place at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, or a supermarket in Buffalo, New York. So it's tragic that we continue to see these things uh, happen throughout our country. And uh, I think as as your listeners know, uh, Congress recently passed some legislation, which was hotly debated, bipartisan legislation. Uh, you know, those who supported it indicated that uh, they would be providing resources, the federal government, that is, would be providing resources for things like red flag laws and, and mental health treatment. And uh, well, there were some good and uh, not so good uh, aspects of that that legislation, um, you know, I think that one of the things that we all can do probably in our communities is, is to point out those who might be in need of support and, and prayer, most importantly, uh, Peter, and um, pray that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, Rob, I think you bring up an important point because it seems like in these situations, when we begin the investi- investigations, there tends to be some kind of evidence that you see maybe in online chat forums or, or places that people are posting information. In this case, there was quite a bit of that just retrospectively again uh, and seeing that there was the signs there, but we somehow missed them. And it seems like maybe a better approach than asking somebody to police the internet would be to be able to spot the isolated, lonely people around us in some different kind of ways. But boy, it seems like that would require a shift in even how we do our life together. 
Oh, it, it, it sure would. I mean, you're, you're absolutely uh, correct. I mean, it seems like all of these shooters have, have some commonality and there is usually an online trail that they, they leave behind. And, and again, whether people spot that or what, whether the social media companies should, you know, are, are, are not picking up on some things that, that might be posted. I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't work in law enforcement. And I don't know exactly how you would go about doing that with the 300 million people that we have in this country. Uh, but you're absolutely correct in the role that we can all play in our own neighborhoods and our communities. I mean, just getting to know your neighbors, I mean, seems like a, a first step. I mean, I, 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 I think it's you know, so unfortunate that we have neighbors who are feuding over political disputes and, and not able to come together on a barbecue on the 4th of July. And, uh, and I think that let's look for all those opportunities. Bill and I have talked about this. You know, I remain an optimist about where we're headed. And I think part of it is because I, you know, see it in, in my church and I see it in the community where, where people are able to, um, in, in so many respects, put aside some of those challenging things that we, we confront in the news. And, and Peter, I think this is an area where social media has maybe divided us more than, than, you know, when, before it existed, uh, we, we see the disputes on Facebook and Twitter, no matter what uh, platform you're on. And it might be hard to get past that, but uh, but when you actually sit down and talk to some people, or if you see somebody who's lonely and isolated, and you you can ask them if they need any help, sometimes it's just asking somebody how they're doing today. Uh, you know, can be all that they need to just you know share their feelings, and um, and you never know how you're able to transform a life like that. Yeah, I think one more question on this. I, I'm noting some some maybe hopeful or encouraging trends that churches that historically have tried to grow very large in size maybe be destination-driven or event-driven, really focusing on Sunday mornings, that more and more churches are starting to think, we really want to get active in our local community again, more of a parish-based kind of mindset. And, and I think that would be an opportunity for any church really to start saying, why don't we take care of the people within the two, three, four, five-square-mile radius in which we find ourselves? Oh, well, right. I mean, historically, as you know, that's, uh, that's certainly how this, this country was formed and, and, and was for a long time before you had, you know, mega churches, uh, the way that many operated. I think the other thing, uh, Peter, is it's very interesting to me that some of the traditional denominations, uh, you know, you know, they're struggling maybe to, to, to get people to return to the, the pews after, after COVID or for whatever reason. I mean, you, you see the same polls and surveys that I do, and it's really disturbing to me that more and more people uh, are, are, are not believing in God. And I don't know whether it's a generational thing, but I, I think we need to really focus on this as a country. And, uh, and unfortunately, it just oftentimes gets set aside as, as, as it's not part of the conversation. Uh, there's always a lot of talk about pouring more money into to programs and in some cases taking money away from law enforcement as we've had this debate over the last couple of years. But I think if we could focus on on really building up those faith-based institutions in our in our society, um, we can we can help address some of these challenges. Uh, that's that's I think one of the reasons why we've seen more and more of them today. Uh, not just some of those other factors that we've already talked about, but because they aren't a presence in uh, in the lives of, of people in their community as they maybe once were. Mm, agreed. Talking with Rob Louie from Daily Signal about some of the different headlines of this weekend. And uh, Rob, I noticed that inflation is quite sticky. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And I'm guessing of the 150 million hot dogs consumed over the weekend that it probably cost American consumers somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 trillion for those. Uh, inflation seems really hot still. 
Well, it, it sure is, and and that is uh, that is certainly the case. I mean, it uh, it is not a problem that that I expect. And and <laughs> as somebody who has the news on all day and it consumes it, I mean, I just hear economist after economist saying that this is going to stick with us for a while. Uh, unfortunately, Americans need to to be uh, get used to the higher prices that they're paying at the grocery store and at the gas pump. Now, there are some steps that this administration could take, particularly when it comes to, to, to gas. But as we, we've even heard from officials at the White House describing it as a liberal world order and, you know, uh, something that we're going to have to get accustomed to as we make this transition to green energy, uh, I think it's really unfortunate. Uh, we do not need to be in this situation. There are steps that we could take. I'm not opposed to, to green energy. As, as your listeners know, I'm an all of the above guy, but I, I don't think we should be penalizing those who can least afford uh, to buy an electric vehicle right now uh, by by having them endure high gasoline prices. And of course, that gets passed along in, in food prices because the farmers are paying more. So it is, uh, it is not something that's going away anytime soon. Uh, the Federal Reserve deserves uh, some of the blame here as well. They were very slow to act uh, when they should have been um, moving interest rates up uh, much earlier. They've, they've now done so in a very knee-jerk fashion, and uh, it's, it's spooked the markets, and your stock market is down, and you're, certainly your retirement savings are as well. So it's, uh, it's, it's a tough situation. I hear a lot of people re- describing us as already being in a recession. Whether or not the president wants to admit that is, is another factor. But, uh, but when we have a situation like this, I think it's all prudent to, to you know, cut back in certain areas and, and, and uh, save as, as much as we can. I think it's also disturbing, Peter, that, you know, all of that, we heard so much good news. Americans were saving so much money during the, during the pandemic. A lot of that has been wiped away um, as a result of what's what's happened just in the last few months. So um, it's definitely a, a troubling economic sign. And what that what that means is poll after poll shows that uh, Democrats are in for a rude awakening when it comes to Election Day in uh, in November. And so I think that they are looking for solutions right now in Congress, whether they're able to get anything done is another question. Yeah, they seem uh, genuinely stumped by the stickiness of inflation right now. And I think it is going to show up in the polls in November. It's a little maybe a little too easy to blame the war in Ukraine as to what's going on. And so hopefully we can see some policy initiatives that'll, that'll help that out because things are have gotten very expensive for the average person. Again, talking with Rob Louie from The Daily Signal. Rob, we're going to step away for just a moment. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about that green energy because the Supreme Court came through with a ruling that limited the powers of the EPA. And some people are interpreting that as a blow against green en- energy, but maybe there's a different angle we can talk about. This is Afternoons with Bill. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today, and you're listening to Faith Radio. minutes past the top of the hour here on the 5th of July. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Bill for this first hour of the show. And we've been talking with Rob Bluey, as we often do as part of the afternoon show. And Rob, um, there's a ruling that came out of the Supreme Court, one that was maybe not getting as much coverage as the Roe versus Wade ruling, but pretty significant nonetheless in that the Supreme Court moved to limit some of the federal powers and, and the EPA as an agency to regulate 
businesses. And, and it seems some people are interpreting this as a blow against green energy. But even Justice Roberts's his, his his words around it and language chosen, it really wasn't about that. It was just simply about returning decisions to the states more so. Well, you described it very well, Peter. Thank you for for putting it in that context. Uh, this this was essentially the statutory statutory limits that federal agencies have. So, as we all know, when we when we learned about our, our system of checks and balances and, and how government functions, Congress is the 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 body that legislates and gives the executive branch the authority to do certain things. Well, Congress never said that the Environmental Protection Agency could go about uh, this regulatory process like a clean power plan as, as it did, and that there were certain checks that it wanted to have on these regulatory agencies. And so that is essentially what we were talking about in the case of West Virginia versus the EPA. Now, if Congress wanted to give the EPA specific authority, they could do so. Now, this is not an isolated case. Uh, the Supreme Court essentially said the same thing in, in the case of uh, NFIB versus OSHA, which was the vaccine mandate case in which the Biden administration gave, uh, wanted, wanted OSHA to essentially impose a requirement on private businesses and nonprofits to, uh, to impose a vaccine requirement uh, for COVID. And so, again, in that, in that case, just like the EPA case, the Supreme Court said there was nothing that, that Congress, Congress did not delegate the authority to OSHA, just like it didn't delegate the authority to EPA or any agency to do certain things. And so you've had over the course of the, the last few presidencies, uh, particularly when Democrats are in the White House, wanting to give these agencies more authority. And the court basically took it back. This is what when we talk about originalists on the Supreme Court, uh, they have a, a very uh, strident originalist interpretation of what the Constitution says and what Congress does. They, they read the text. They don't make interpretations on it. And so to your latter point, uh, what does this mean? Uh, what it means is, yes, states can go about doing certain things, uh, as you indicated, but it also means that if people want to petition their government and, and, and members of Congress to enact a, a clean power plan or, or things of that nature, well, then they have the ability to do so. But Congress needs to pass it into law. And there are other steps that we can take in, in the meantime, I would like to point out. Uh, individuals certainly uh, can do things in, in their capacity, uh, but you, it's the choices that you make. Uh, I, I happen, Peter, to, to drive a hybrid vehicle. Uh, you know, that's not, not for everybody, but I mean, if we want to go down certain certain paths to, to have, a, have a cleaner environment, I, I think that, um, that we are, are in our own individual choices able to do so. I mean, that's the power of the free market after all. Yeah, and I would say in working with young people week in and week out, Rob, that uh, there is an understandable, I, I think they would probably describe it as an existential concern that we're not going to exist if we don't get our head around what's going on with the climate. And, and debating the merits of, of the science of all of it aside, uh, is there some measure of this that is a theological question as well in terms of how we steward the environment and try to be really fair-minded about how we're impacting the world? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, and I, I think those of us as Christians who who want to pass on a an environment and, and an earth uh, to future generations should care about it. I mean, it absolutely is a priority for, for, for me and I think a lot of other conservatives. Uh, it's just that we don't think that the government necessarily has all the answers. And we also don't think that the fear mongering that we so often hear from folks on the left about the environment uh, has, has borne out and is true. I mean, you can go back generations now and look at some of the headlines from the 1970s and see that all of their predictions were were blatantly wrong, uh, starkly wrong, frankly. Um, and so, 
I, I would advise your listeners not to to believe all the hype and the panic that uh, that sometimes you know takes center stage. And again, going back to social media, and you might might be seeing or hearing things which oftentimes could be misinformation. I think most importantly, it's the steps again that we can take in our own communities and then as individuals and uh, through the proper course of government action. I mean, again, there is a way to go about doing this without having uh, government agencies overstep their authority in trying to impose rules on the American people. Ultimately, Peter, I think we want to try to find a balance where we can have safe, uh, clean, affordable energy for Americans to succeed and, and live a prosperous life while at the same time balancing with good stewardship over our environment. Mm, gee, Rob, you're not suggesting you return to an evidence-based, uh, thoughtful approach to some of these <laughs> issues as, a, as opposed to propaganda from either side, are you? Perish the well, thought. Right, right. Well, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge that some man-made actions, you know, are, are contributing to changes in our climate. So, you know, for those who, who want to uh, to point out that, that, that I'm a climate change denier, I mean, I would push back on that. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do think that it is important to, to look at the science and look at the evidence. And, and particularly, you know, I think that this, this strikes as somebody who has young children who, who are often fed, I think, propaganda in, in school. Uh, so much of, of what they learn now is, you know, out of that approach. And, and that's why I think that so many in, uh, of younger Americans view this as an existential threat, uh, to, to our future. When I think, you know, there are already steps that we are taking in this country when you compare ourselves to a Russia or a China or or some of the emerging countries that that are are, are polluting our environment. Um, the problem is not here in the United States. Oftentimes, it's uh, it's when we look overseas. Yeah, indeed, Rob. Uh, one more conversation for sure that we want to touch on, and that is the continuing fallout of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And again, we're not talking about making abortion illegal in our country. We're talking about returning those decisions back to political leaders in individual states. So this was really a blow against federal overreach was the perception versus making something illegal. But what has been the ongoing fallout as those decisions have been returned to the states? Well, certainly uh, the president, Joe Biden, has has made it an issue where he he's trying to rally his base. Uh, he knows that he's underwater when it comes to his own approval and, and the approval of Democrats. So, I mean, he just just before we went on air, said that uh, that Roe is on the ballot this November. And so he, uh, I think, will continue to do that. Now, when it comes to the actual protests or, or, or those, uh, those feelings, I mean, new polling just came out and it's not, uh, it's not resonating, I think, the way that some Democrats had hoped it would. The economy and inflation remain uh, the top issue on the concerns of a uh, concern of American people. You did have a number of protests break out immediately after the Dobbs decision was handed down, but they've not really sustained. Uh, there's been concern that the Supreme Court justices, you know, will continue to see protests at their homes. But uh, but again, uh, I, I don't know whether it's something that we can expect at a later time. I it, Basically, Peter, what I'm what I'm getting at is the response has not been as significant as I expected it to be. That could be because the decision leaked uh, back in May. And so you had a number of protests take place uh, prior to the actual uh, uh, official ruling. Uh, but I do expect that there will be activity. I mean, certainly in state legislatures, uh, South Carolina and Indiana have both called special sessions. Uh, there are up to five states that uh, that will be uh, having special sessions. And, uh, and some of those special sessions will be to advance uh, pro-life legislation and other states, they will be advancing uh, pro-abortion legislation. And, and ultimately, I think we uh, need to continue to advance a, a culture of life in this country. 
And, and I think that um, hopefully people recognize the truth as you described it about what the decision actually did and not some of the other, again, like we were just talking about on the climate, not some of the other misinformation or fear mongering that is being put out by, uh, by those uh, supporters of abortion. You make a really interesting point about the response that has been relatively tepid compared to perhaps the, the response at the polls that's going on with inflation and the economy. Clearly people are pretty worked up about that and understandably so. And then when I compare it to the riots that took place during the George Floyd incident, I mean, that persisted for a long time and, and was across multiple cities, even our entire country. And so there, there must be something about that that tells us about where people's hearts are, where their attitudes are, what, what they really care about. And that's, that's a pretty interesting take on maybe the response to overturning Roe versus Wade. Well, well, I, I hope I hope so. I mean, I also think that some of the criticism that, that we expected and, and I think we still hear it is that, oh, you know, conservatives only only, you know, care about uh, changing the law and not actually cha- caring about the mothers. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that we've done here at the Heritage Foundation and that I would encourage other people to do just on a regular basis is look for ways to support uh, those pregnancy centers in your community. Uh, whether it through, be through financial donations or do, donations of, of, of gifts, uh, diapers, uh, strollers, the things that they need for, for expectant mothers who are turning to them. And hopefully they are turning to them because they have had a change of heart and they, they don't want to go through uh, with, uh, with a Planned Parenthood abortion. And they are looking for different ways um, to, to bring life into this world. So Peter, you know, there are hopeful signs. Uh, this was the first step. Uh, this is this is go- not going to end with the Dobbs decision. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. And I think that uh, that will begin in earnest, like I said, with South Carolina and Indiana here in the coming weeks and their special sessions. But we'll certainly pick up steam come January when a lot of uh, legislators uh, return to their state capitals and begin to work on this issue. Hmm, Rob, we just have a minute left or so. But I noticed in a recent poll that confidence in the Supreme Court uh, was down maybe more substantially than normal in this kind of situation. And Rosie, our producer, just brought up the question. Did it, are we ever going to find out who um, had the leak uh, about the Roe versus Wade ruling before it actually came out? Well, I remain uh, doubtful that we will. I, I think even if they do find who the person is, they'll probably keep it confidential as a personnel matter. But you're right. I mean, this is an issue, uh, the, the confidence in the court that I think uh, is troubling. It should trouble all of us because that was an institution that did hold high marks, even as Congress and the White House may have had low marks. And uh, and I think it's been a campaign that's been orchestrated, you know, for for now over a generation dating back to Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas and attacks on those nominees and certainly more recently Brett Kavanaugh. It's something that I think we need to get back to restoring, just like we need to restore trust in so many institutions in this country and give Americans confidence that their elected leaders uh, can represent them well in Washington and uh, state capitals all across this country. Mm, I appreciate it, Rob. Covered a lot of ground here in a half an hour. If people want to follow up on some of these articles and topics, where can they find your work? Well, please visit DailySignal.com. You can sign up for our daily email and get the news delivered to your inbox every morning. Well, it sure is nice to, again, have an evidence-based approach to some of the news headlines and not a bunch of propaganda. So thanks for the good work that you do and and just sort of the the rigorous work to get into some of these headlines and help us out a bit. Well, thank you, Peter. Appreciate you hosting today. Of course. We'll uh, step away here for just a moment. When we come back for the second half of this first hour on Afternoons with Bill, we'll be joined by Alex McFarland, and we'll talk a little bit about the founding of our country, how we celebrated this past weekend, uh, some of the murkier waters of uh, what people are critiquing America about and how we can walk in those pathways of forgiveness as believers. So stay with us. More to come on Faith Radio.
Welcome back to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Hour 1 today. Hour 2, Bill will be joined by Jeff Redorn. They pre-recorded an interview. Great uh, conversation, new content for you to listen to in that hour. Now we're joined by Reverend and Dr. Alex McFarland. He's uh, here on the show regularly. He's part of the American Family Radio Network, directs Biblical Worldview for Karis Bible College. And we're going to talk a little bit about the founding of our country. Good afternoon, Alex. Good afternoon, Peter. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to hear your voice again. And uh, I know certainly over these last uh, five, seven years or so, uh, there seems to be quite the movement against um, appreciating the foundation of our countries. And and people probably have some fair-minded critiques about our past, and and you and I can talk about that in just a second. But it does seem like maybe we've uh, swung the pendulum so far that I know at least I heard from some of my friends that uh, some of what was trending on social media is that there shouldn't be any celebrations happening last night at all, really, that we're wrecking the environment with fireworks. There's not much to celebrate. America was based on racism and nothing more. But you've read an article that is going to take a, a different kind of view and maybe swing the pendulum back towards the center titled, Why Should We All Truly Love America? So take us into this a little bit, Alex. Oh, well, well thanks very much. And I, I, I know it's the day after the 4th of July, but, um, you know, the Independence Day spirit uh, lingers a little bit. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful for this country, and I I really think we all should be grateful for it. And I know, like you say, Peter, I mean, it's become kind of chic and fashionable and hip to, you know, be critical of America. But look, this is our home, and 99.9% of all the people that are, you know, hearing this broadcast are probably going to live out the remainder of their days here in the USA. And I've spoken on, I don't know, 200, I quit counting a couple of years ago, but 200 college campuses. And I've heard so many professors just, you know, intone so piously about how bad America is and it's just terrible and just America, uh, we should be ashamed. And I'm like, okay, so uh, where are you going to live? Where where are you going to live? Now, uh, we could talk about our country's founding. But uh, let me give a little story, if I could. About three weeks ago, I was at a place called the International Civil Rights Museum. Uh, That's in Greensboro, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, I've been to most of the relevant sites regarding the civil rights movement because I'm a big fan of the, the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And his Real manifesto of the civil rights movement, uh, the 1963 Pulitzer Prize winning book, Why We Can't Wait, which is steeped in Christianity, thoroughly, thoroughly biblical and Christian. Uh, and Dr. King, you know, basically predicated the validity of the civil rights movement on the fact that we're made in God's image. And because we are, you know, made by God, we all have worth and value. And there's this moral code written on everybody's heart. But anyway, three weeks ago, I went to the International Civil Rights Museum uh, in North Carolina, uh, which the UN is in the process of making a world heritage site. It was the first integrated restaurant in North America. And um, in 1960, they began to serve blacks after the the peaceful sit-ins. Anyway, I felt very privileged because... um, 
you know, they'd never let a film crew in there before, and Fox News invited me to come, and we did a, a, an interview right there at the tables, the lunch counter where uh, blacks were served right alongside whites for the very first time beginning in 1960. Here's the thing. When you go in the International Civil Rights Museum, on the wall there's a big copy of the Declaration of Independence, and the scholar in residence uh, with whom I immediately bonded we were talking about how America was founded on several presuppositions, but one of which is what we call natural law or morality. And uh, by the way, folks, in the original Declaration of Independence, there was a, a paragraph about ending slavery uh, because of Christianity, and the word Christianity appeared in the original copy. And here's the thing. South Carolina and Georgia would not sign the declaration unless the, the paragraph abolishing slavery was stricken. So what people need to understand is uh, at the time of the American Revolution, there was no country on earth where slavery had a better shot at getting abolished than the United States of America. And in order to unify and have the American Revolution and successfully break from Britain, we needed 100% participation of the colonies. Jefferson was not happy about it, but to get South Carolina and Georgia on board, 11 of the 13 signed it with Christianity in there and the abolition of slavery. To get Georgia and South Carolina on board, that paragraph was stricken. And so... Uh, there's a lot more I could say, Peter, but here's the point for the America bashers. At the time of the founding, right up through the 19th century and really up through the civil rights of the 20th century, what other country? Okay, so you don't like America? Okay. Tell me what country on planet Earth would have had the moral biblical foundation to address all people as humans all, to recognize the personhood of every human, to abolish slavery and human trafficking, and to offer life, liberty, stability, the chance for prosperity for all. Forgive my lengthy, circuitous journey to get to the point I'm about to state. Uh, we're not the, maybe not the perfect country, but on planet Earth, we were the only one that set the wheels in motion for human rights for all, and it was because of our Christian foundation, and I think that's something worth caring about, worth passing on, and yes, worth celebrating. Mm, I think it's so important, so many different points that you brought up, Alex, any number of which we need to follow up on, but but I think one has to do with what you've described as what I think is a consistent and fair-minded look at our history, because maybe what I didn't appreciate until I got into university life and teaching in academia is that there's a lot of professors who play fast and loose with the evidence because they need to, in order to get tenure, they need to get published. In order to get published, they have to come with a new angle on something. And to have a new angle on something typically means maybe bending or revising the evidence ever so slightly so that you can get that tenure. And I'm not sure that we're getting a lot of faithful looks at history that is fair-minded. We're almost getting propaganda from a lot of locations right now. We really are. You make a great point. There's there's an axiom in academia called publish or perish. And um, listen, let me let me tell you this, folks. Publishers, and I, I give God the glory. I've, it's been my honor to write 19 books. 
publishers don't care what is in your book. Publishers care that you can sell your book, mm. your platform. If you're pitching a book idea to a publisher, folks, talk less about your content and more about your platform. Because the publisher, and I understand publishers have to keep the lights on, but um, you know, once I learned how you actually get published, uh, and and there there is something to say, Peter. You're right about um, uh, some new angle or some you know smoking gun that you've stumbled across, and some salacious point that nobody else has made. And to do that, you you are absolutely correct. And and let's talk about academia for just a minute because. You know, I believe in education. I respect, you know, I know a lot of non-Christian, non-conservative academicians for whom I have respect. But am I right? Within the world of PhDs, um, there's a lot of pride and a lot of insecurity. And and I know behind the uh, polish and the, you know, elocution and all of the you know, grandeur that sometimes goes with, you know, the high call of education, you know, there there are a lot of insecure people with, you know, doctorates. There there are a lot there's a lot of pride and insecurity. And for that and you'd never know it. And I tell young people, I say, look, those professors that you, you know, um uh, genuflect in front of, uh very often you know that they they like that and they live for that and it's not just the the dispassionate pursuit of truth very often the culture of academia you know it it validates and strokes egos and um i wrote a book peter called um stand strong in college because i've got a talk i do called what you'll hear your freshman year and i had a number of professors that i interviewed and they said, please don't use my name. I want to speak off record, you know, but um, regarding American history, regarding even things like the evidence for intelligent design and honest questions about Darwinism and just belief in God. And, and professors would say, look, there, there are a lot of us and, you know, we know transgenderism is false, but you, you don't dare um, speak your mind because you could lose positions within the department. You're not on committees you need to be on. There's not, you know, your tenure is at risk. And what what's so sad is, and moms and dads need to know this, that, you know, the term university, uh, it, really we should say a monoversity because <laughs> it's, it's not a plurality of ideas and opinions very often. It, unless you go to a solidly Christian school, I can just virtually guarantee that the the kids are going to hear this one party line that is basically, you know, revisionist history, uh, methodological naturalism, secularism, socialism, uh, and the utopia that we know we can build is basically Marxist, not capitalist. Uh, And, and, Monoversity would be a, a more accurate descriptor. Am I right, Peter? Oh, it's it, you've described my experience to a T, Alex, and and I think the concern coming out of that is that it's effective. Uh, it, it has made an impact on how 
the next generation really does think uh, about and perceive the world. And, and I think we, we've lost that sense of being grateful for our country for a lot of people in the next generation. And they feel like to even say, hey, I did want to celebrate the 4th of July. There was some beautiful things on which our country was founded. We have been a force of good for the world. And like you said, where else would you rather live? To have that language, it's in many locations right now. You're not going to get a hearing, and and I think we need to establish some things. The church can actually come in the midst of all of this. And when we're going to step away for a moment. When we come back, Alex, I'd like to talk a bit more about that because you brought up Martin Luther King Jr. His approach to civil rights and social justice was profoundly Christian, uh, anchored in things like forgiveness and love. And and I think we can fairly say that America has been that, and we can practice that moving forward. So again, we're talking with Alex McFarland here on Afternoons with Bill. We'll be back in just a moment and continue the conversation. Back to Afternoons with Bill. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this first hour on July 5th. And we're chatting with Alex McFarlane, reflecting on uh, the celebrations this past weekend of our nation's foundation. And Alex, we were talking quite a bit about revisionist history and people not even really maybe wanting to celebrate the 4th of July. And you brought up Martin Luther King Jr., who surprisingly mm-hmm. to me, his thought doesn't seem to be as pervasive as it used to be, but a person, if they want to spend 17, 20 minutes just listening to his I Have a Dream speech or read through letters from a Birmingham jail, it's profound what he offers in terms of forgiveness and love. And so if if we're going to be real about slavery and and racism as part of our country's uh, history, maybe the approach is not to try to burn it all down, but but to move in forgiveness and love as he obviously did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You you know, uh, you mentioned letter from a Birmingham jail and Everybody should read that. Um, also, you know, a lot of people uh, don't realize um, his uh, organization. Of course, he was pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church there in, in Atlanta. But he had what was called, quote, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. That was his, uh, you know, ministry the, uh, organization. And they had a way they vetted out people. Um, and uh, there was... Uh, Really, people, if they were going to march with Dr. King, they had to go through a, a little vetting process. And there's there's a list. I've seen these cards, and I've interviewed a number of people that march with Dr. King. And the first precept that you had to check off in the presence of witnesses was, um, point one, I will meditate daily on the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Wow. And that was part of the – it was almost like a covenant. And then there was another thing. Uh, I promise that I will not return evil for evil. If I am cursed and yelled at, I will not uh, respond in kind. If I am hit or struck, I will not fight back. Uh, This is peaceful, um, you know, non-resistance. And uh, on this card, if you wanted to march with Dr. King, um, one of the points on the punch list, uh, I will pray for those that are on the other side of the aisle, I forget the exact verbiage they use, but you know, um, those that are against 
civil rights for all. I will pray for them. I will endeavor to show the love of Jesus Christ to them. And uh, there, there are a couple of things, Peter, that um, for one, Dr. King, and again, you know, his all of his writings, read, read anything and everything that he wrote. But Why We Can't Wait is especially important, I believe, because he draws from Augustine. He draws from Thomas Aquinas. Of course, he draws heavily from the Bible, but he basically makes a case. The validity of the civil rights movement is, he in the Declaration, it says, all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. But he says, look, throughout history, um, whether or not you had the Bible in Exodus chapter 20, the law of God is written on every heart. And he builds his case based on what we would call natural law, which is exactly what the Civil Rights Museum in Greensboro talks about as well. I I think that it is noteworthy that it, it seems like, to me, he has quietly been glossed over. Would you agree? And and I would suspect part of it is is because just the overtly, not only pro-Christian, but pro-America um, posture of Dr. King. And for um, he's he, he doesn't fit the template of the modern insurrectionist. And that's why he's quietly being forgotten. Would you agree? Yeah, Alex, again, I think uh, on point in in terms of my best understanding of it, because I think we've replaced his nonviolent resistance that was being birthed out of love and forgiveness and compassion, seeking to elevate all of us into a common brother and sisterhood as citizens. And and again, his approach, he had a, you you brought up a fierce urgency of now, His, his approach really was urgent but it was coming through the lens of love and forgiveness. But that's all been replaced by much more of of what we could call a critical theory mindset that seeks to identify Mm -hmm. who has social power. And if you're part of a grouping that is perceived to have social power, the job is not to elevate everyone into a common brotherhood and sisterhood. It's to tear down that power, burn it, have nothing to do with it, and replace it. So I think we've replaced nonviolent resistance with a violent power struggle, uh, at least a violence of soul. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we, um, as Christians, and and believe me, I I realize this is a little bit of a tough sell, what I'm about to say, but I I just, uh, about three hours ago, had the privilege of speaking to several hundred teenagers. And for one thing, a lot of the uh, righteous indignation uh, that a lot of young people feel, and America's bad, America did this bad, and America did that wrong. I'm like, okay, first of all, uh, the way it's been taught to you, I I would question. But the other thing is, um, why can we not forgive and move on? Uh, And I'm not being dismissive. I'm not minimizing um, the plight of Americans. And by the way, as a person of Scottish ancestry, you know, from 1600 to um, the mid-19th century, it's estimated that a quarter million to 400,000 white Scots were sold as slaves. But, you know, I'm not wanting to demand that Disney cancel Pirates of the Caribbean uh, when it was literally Pirates of the Caribbean that, uh, you know, uh, enslaved and sold Scottish people. Mm. Um, look, uh, the human race has baggage. 
but we, we've got to move on. And and one final thing that I'll say, I know we're short on time, but here's the deal. I remember uh, 9-11 happened on a Tuesday, and I was asked to go to New York City by Samaritan's Purse, part of the Billy Graham ministry and Franklin Graham. So 9-11 happened. The world was shell-shocked. You know, I don't know, 12 hours later, I'm on a bus going to New York City, and for the next several weeks, we were in and around Ground Zero doing ministry. But here's my point. The Sunday after 9-11, New York City is still brought to its knees. I bought a New York Times, which I've got to this day. Now, the world, just remember, we didn't know all that we would later learn. But that New York Times, the Sunday edition of the New York Times, immediately following 9-11, there were three dozen full-page ads from the nations of the world, countries I'd never heard of. Because you've got to remember, this was like the first, you know, American blood shed on American soil by foreign, you know, foreign powers. I remember there was a full-page Greece says, dear citizens of America, we, we're the people of Greece. Whoever did this, whatever happens, we will stand with you. America did this, this, this for Greece. You helped us. Uh, Haiti. Uh, Israel, oh my goodness, I think there was a double full-page ad. France, France had a full-page ad in the New York Times, said, Dear Americans, we are France, we are with you. Uh, you liberated Paris when the, the French wouldn't even fight for Paris. Um, whoever did this, we are with you. And here's my point. Uh, to all of the people, let's destroy America, I'm like, okay, 9-11 there were all the major nations of the world declared their solidarity because they said America is good. America helped us. We owe so much to America. We'll repay that debt any way we can. What has happened in the in the the you know succeeding twenty years that suddenly we're the greatest villain on the face of the earth? The answer is nothing. It's just how America is being how it's been spun. Um, there's no perfect nation because we are all an imperfect people, but America was based on the Judeo-Christian self-evident truth worldview. We've dug more wells, built more schools, healed more people. I could go on and on, but I want to especially call on pastors to preach and encourage your parishioners to love this nation and pray for this nation. I know our home is heaven if you're a Christian, but Augustine was right. Until we're in the city of God, we have an obligation to the city of man. Yeah, it's so important what you bring up, Alex, and we have just about a minute left, but I want to highlight what has been a theme and what you've talked about this last half an hour, and that is, so if we're going to destroy our country from the inside out, where else would we rather live? Because really, you know, the, the, the country maybe waiting in the wings to fill the vacuum would be China. And, and I know a lot of people in China and genuinely lovely people work and live and love and, and, and breathe and eat and uh, it, within the Chinese population. But, but the government is not to be messed with or trifled with. It, it is one oppressive regime that really does uh, wreak havoc on people's lives. So if, if not America, that's going to fill the vacuum. And, and we do need to stand up in that way. We really do. We really do. And, uh, you know, I um, I know so many veterans that have given their lives and limbs. I mean, you know, you travel for 25 years, go to 
2,000 churches and 200 schools, stay in a lot of homes. You meet a lot of people. And I've just heard the stories. And a German lady told me how when, um, you know, under the Third Reich, grown men were weeping and they looked. And she said all the adults were shouting, it's the Americans. We're safe. Um, We're not the bad guys of the world. In fact, nine times out of ten, we've been the hero to rescue the people that were in harm's way. I thank God for this country, and I pray for America, and I believe great great days could be ahead as we as we love God and thank Him for all the blessings uh, that we've been entrusted with. Yeah, well said, Alex. If people want to see this article they released yesterday about the 4th of July titled, Why Should We All Truly Love America? Where's the best way to find it? It's, it's a worthwhile read. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Well, you know, you can go to my own website, which is alexmcfarland.com, or it's on a bunch of sites, Metro Voice, and a lot of places out there online. Mm. Well, thanks for the faithful work you do, Alex, just day in and day out, as well as part of this show and Afternoons with Bill. Just love love your voice and love your perspective. Have a great rest of the day. You too, my friend. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We'll step away here in just a moment. In an hour or two, Bill is back in the host chair. He had pre-recorded uh, an hour long with Jeff Redorn, and they are launching a new series titled Who Is This Jesus? And they're going to cover the life and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, incredible topic to get into there. I think there's so many passages and teachings and, and events in his life that are maybe not as familiar as they otherwise could be. So stay tuned. More to come here on Afternoons with Bill on the 5th of July. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.